0: Hey, welcome to the Project Church podcast. My name is Caleb Cole. I'm the lead pastor here at Project Church in downtown Sacramento. And we're so glad that you came to hear this word. We believe this is going to encourage you, build you up, and give you life. So get ready to receive a message from God. All right, let's see if anybody can do it. God is good all the time. All right. There you go. That is what we are talking about today. Biblical goodness in a world of brokenness. So church, can I just tell you first of all that I love you? Caleb got to say it. Has he told you lately that he loves you? Can I also tell you that I love you? You guys are beautiful. I love to see you worship. I love to see you praise our Father and our Creator in heaven. So thank you for being here today. If you're new here, if this is your first time here, we're taking a break from our series in Marked. It's a series called Marked by Jesus. We've been in it for almost two years. We have about eight months left in it. But here in the next three weeks leading up to Easter, we are going to be talking about a new series, which is called The Rising Church, Radical Commitment to a Biblical Worldview. If you're here for the first time or if you're wondering what worldview is about let me just give you the definition and excuse the basicness of it. But a worldview is a framework from which we view reality and make sense of life and the world. So as Christians, we view reality and make sense of the world around us based off of the Bible, right? Yeah. So we have a biblical worldview, but you know what? We almost named the series instead of The Rising Church. We almost named it, Excuse Me, But Your Worldview Is Showing. Because here's the fact of the matter, we have a culture that is working very hard at getting us to agree with its worldview, and it is anything but biblical. And so, church, I want to ask you today, are you going to be radically committed to a biblical worldview? And I want you to ask yourself, have there been moments in my week, have there been moments in my day where my actual worldview that may not have been biblical, was that actually showing? Was it showing when you were driving on the way into church? Was it showing as you were talking to your spouse? Was it showing as you talked to your parents? Was it showing as you were talking to the barista? What was your worldview reviewing? And I want to challenge us today that we would be committed to a radical biblical worldview. Here's the thing. Sometimes we're not committed to a biblical worldview because we are a little afraid of the culture. Sometimes it's unaccepting. Sometimes it calls us hateful. And sometimes we're being canceled. So we hide our worldview. But the goal of this series, The Rising Church, is to lead us into a biblical commitment to a biblical worldview, no matter how radical the ramifications are. We've got to get bold, church. A church that is rising is a bold church that is not afraid of living out a biblical worldview. You know, I think about the fact that there is death all around us. There's people dying of a virus and they're like, you know, souls that are dying along with that. And I think sometimes when we talk about deaths, we start getting distracted by what that means. We might get distracted about the fact that, you know, this whole death thing. Well, is it actually the flu numbers? Is it actually cancer numbers going down, blah, blah, blah. blah. And then we start getting distracted by these conversations about death. But here's the fact of the matter. This world is deteriorating. The moment sin entered it, it started to deteriorate. And the fact that it's deteriorating is a fact that helps us understand that death is inevitable. There's an end to everything. There's a necessary end to everything. So I am telling you today, we are so passionate and we are so desperate for you to understand that walking in a biblical worldview is going to save souls. When we walk in a biblical worldview, we start walking in life. Here's the thing. There's death all around us and some of us are walking out into this battlefield, people are dying around us, and we have something in our hand that looks like a sword. And what is the sword in our spiritual armor? It's the sword of the spirit, which is the word of truth, which is the Bible. And some of our swords aren't actually the Bible. It's actually self-help books. It's like really good podcasts. It's like a new diet. It's a new health regimen. And I'm afraid that we are seeing people die around us and they're being slaughtered by even some of our own weapons. Or we're trying to protect people and we're trying to help people and we're trying to save people around us. But when in fact our sword and we're trying to protect them from the enemy has no power. And here's the thing. If we're going to defeat the devil, we're going to use our greatest weapon against death. And that's the life giving words of God who is alive and well, and he has already defeated death, hell, and the grave. And those words are found in the word of God. The words are found in the Bible. So it is so important for us to be walking with a biblical worldview because that's our greatest weapon against the spirit of death. And let's not forget, we're not in a battle of flesh alone. We're in a spiritual battle. The marital problems that you're experiencing... Your fear about your child's future, your health that's deteriorating, even COVID. All these, all these, these fights that are seem so physical are very much attached to spiritual battles. And we need the right weapon to fight against them. Some of us are trying to fight for the right perspective. We're trying to fight to keep our peace, fight to keep our joy. And God's saying, get a biblical worldview because that's going to give you life. That's going to give you perspective. That's going to give you joy. That's going to give you life. That's going to give you hope. That's what we need. And I'm afraid we're fighting these battles with swords that resemble the Bible, but they have no power. Can we walk in the power of a biblical worldview? You know, the word of God was written and spoken into existence by a good father, by a good creator. And the fact that he's a good father, you know, that in and of itself is getting attacked in this culture why would a god who loves you allow bad things to happen is a question often asked by those of those people who don't have faith and i want to tell you right now that we serve a good god that knows that we're in a world that is dying but he's not going to force any single one of us to choose him he's so good that he lets us make that choice he gives us the freedom of choice But our choices are causing the deterioration to happen in this world. It's not a bad father. He's a good father that loves you so much and he extends the invitation for you to accept him and to receive him. That's a good father. A bad father would force you to believe and do whatever he wants you to do. But he loves us and he gives us freedom. We serve a good God. But in this culture, we're defining goodness on our own. So today, we're talking about biblical goodness in a time of brokenness, in a time of hurting, in a time of death. We need to understand a biblical worldview of goodness so that we can restore this generation for his glory. You know, I don't know about you, but goodness has been, unfortunately, defined as something just less than great. I mean, we've all read the book by Jim Collins, or many of us have, Good to Great. We don't want to be good, we want to be great. And we add all these superlatives and we've tried to find all these extra things to add on to just good. From the very beginning of time, God said things were good. The beginning of time, God was a good God, but we want to define goodness on our own. Listen to what the author Philip Kennison says in his book about the fruit of the spirit, which is goodness. One of them. He says this, and listen carefully. We find it increasingly difficult to discuss what used to be called the common good. In its place, we have substituted the notion that individuals should be free to determine for themselves what is good and right in any particular situation. Although there are some legal boundaries that would restrain us from doing what we agree is wrong to do, there is a little that would help us know what is right or good to do so. As a result, the good and the right are increasingly being reduced to what is legal. In short, if one has not broken any laws, one is good or a moral person. Or even more to the point, if one is merely decent, one is increasingly considered good. Did you hear that? In other words, this culture is telling us how we should determine goodness. And that oftentimes looks like being law-abiding. And that's good but is that God's biblical worldview of good? It, it might even look like correctedness, political correctedness. It may even look like moral superiority. And listen, that is not a biblical worldview of goodness. God has a view of goodness that comes straight from him. A church that rejects the relegation of goodness to the world's standard and the world's definition will rise. Church, we have got to rise in the truth of what his goodness is if we want to heal a broken world. We've got to rise. So today we're going to truly understand what biblical goodness is so that we will rise and be all that God has intended us to be. You ready? All right, here we go. So a rising church that embodies... Biblical goodness is number one, redemptive, redemptive. In Genesis 1, we see the heart of God and that every single thing that he created, he said before man entered, before sin entered this world, he said, and God saw that it was good. He saw that everything he created was good. And you know why? It's because God is good and good is perfection. Perfection is God. God. Everything that he created was good. Everything. And, you know, I think we sometimes get tripped up and we're like, oh, we're such bad people, we're filthy rags. But, no, it's actually the sin that entered the world that makes us bad. But God created man and woman, and he said they are good. We need to start walking in that identity. So we see that God is a good God. But then the very root of evil in this world comes from the desire of Adam and Eve later in chapter one, trying to create and determine their definition of what good is. And it's on their own terms. Do you recognize this? Like this big fallen sin, this sin that, you know, entered this world through Adam and Eve, came from a selfish desire to determine what good is, when good had already been determined. God had already determined goodness. So if goodness is redemptive, if the church is supposed to be redemptive, then God from the very beginning of time created something good and his plan, since we have sinned, since Adam and Eve sinned, his plan is to redeem this earth back to him, to restore who we are To restore what he intended for this world. God is about redeeming. He's about redemption. He's about making good what we have destroyed, what we have. What is deteriorating on this earth is no longer good, but only through the power of the Holy Spirit can he bring it back to the original intent. How many people have been redeemed by the Holy Spirit, have been redeemed because Jesus entered their life. There was an old self, but now there's a new self. There was good, it went bad, but then his mercy caused us to go back to the good. Do you see what happened there? It says this in Psalm 23, 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Do you see the remnants of that that image that God had a great good plan, and then it got ruined, but then there's mercy to bring us back to the good. God's plan of redemption is all about his goodness. His goodness is redeeming us to our original purpose in this world. And let me tell you right now, God created you for a purpose. You were created on purpose purpose, with purpose, and for his purposes. He's restoring those original purposes. No matter how far you have walked away from him, he's going to restore that. That is his intent. And as you follow him, as you seek him, as you step into that biblical worldview of goodness, man, the church is rising. The church will rise when we walk in that authority and that truth. God is good. Surely goodness and mercy If you feel like there's no goodness left for you, his intent is to bring you back there through his mercy. So the rising church that embodies biblical goodness is redemptive, number one. But number two, it's also remarkable. The rising church that embodies biblical goodness is remarkable. When I look around in this room, I see people's lives who have been changed. Look around the room. Look around the room. Look around. Maybe the person that you're sitting next to, closer to, you know their story a little bit better than the rest of the room. But I want you to think about where God brought them and where they are now. Where were they and where are they now? That is redemption. That is goodness. That is remarkable. There's a moment. There's a moment where we just don't have faith to see with spiritual eyes what God is doing around us. He's doing something good in our lives. He's sometimes doing good things in our lives, but we do not have the perspective, the good perspective that God wants us to have. It's good. It's good. You know, there's something that I say sometimes when Caleb's driving me around and he's just not paying attention. He just kind of swerves into the other lane (laughs) or he cuts somebody off like because he's really jamming out to the music and I'm just like, Unbelievable. And then when I, the other day, I got irrationally angry, irrationally angry, (laughs) at um, my kitchen table where the kids ate lunch, didn't put away their plates, and then started art projects, didn't put away the art projects, and then had you know devices on it, and they're all watching their devices. So you kind of feel like a parent failure because it's like they're watching devices and the room is a mess, and it just looks like something exploded in my kitchen. I walk in there, and what do I say? Unbelievable. <laughs> Absolutely unbelievable. And there's just a moment where I feel, like, I feel like I can just be like, you are unbelievable. What is happening? And it's like I don't know how to catch my kids doing right. I don't catch my husband doing right. The things that are unbelievable to me are the things that are going wrong around me. And we don't have the faith to see with a good perspective. And maybe we think that the things that are not going well in our lives are the miraculous, unbelievable things. But God's saying, though, there are remarkable things around you. Maybe you just need to start seeing your husband and your kids and your roommates and your, and your employers and your employees and your associates. Maybe you need to start catching them doing something good, there's power in positive reinforcement. Are we being positive to people around us or we're just saying, oh, unbelievable, unbelievable. What is going on in this world? Let's get a positive perspective. Philippians 4, eight. finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there are any excellencies, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Maybe the things that we're thinking about are so negative that what we remark on Are the negative things but maybe we'll start seeing things as remarkable when we start having the right perspective when we start seeing things the right way when we start looking in the mirror and looking at ourselves the way god created us and he said i created you and you are good you are good you are a remarkable church. When we start seeing ourselves for the way God sees us, then we will rise and we will be the hands and feet of Christ that helps redeem others and helps them to see how God sees them as well. What is his original intent for you? Start recognizing that it's for you to be remarkable, awe-inspiring, stopping the, st- stopping the show. It's just you are amazing. You are a testimony. You are a sight to behold. That is the church. Man, so many people dogging on the church these days. It is the bride of Christ. We got to love the church. We got to encourage the church. We have to see the church and let them see itself. Let us see ourselves the way God intended from the very beginning of time. That is beautiful. That is the church. That is the people group that Jesus loves and died for. You are remarkable, church. A rising church that embodies true biblical goodness is remarkable. Next, a church. That is rising and bodies true biblical goodness is resistant to evil. It says this in 1 Peter 2.12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds. They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. You know, that's a very personal call to righteousness and to avoid evil I wouldn't even say avoid evil. It is resist evil. It is to confront evil in the face and say, no, not any longer. Do you have a grip on my life? No, not any longer. Will I walk with you? No way. No how. I divorce you. I leave you behind. I have broken up with you and I'm moving forward. And the redemption and the original purpose that God set out for my life, it's a personal invitation for you to start doing good works in the name of Jesus, for you to do the good Things that make the good choices to come to church, to join a team, to help the oppressed, to help those who can't help themselves. You are called to do the good works. It's a personal invitation. There's going to be haters. There's going to be haters. But be the person to speak against those evildoers that they may see the good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits them to be invited also into his family. First Peter 2.12 There's a personal invitation for us to resist the evil in our lives. But there's also a corporate call for us as a church to rise up, walk in biblical goodness in that worldview and corporately do what it says in Micah Micah 6, 8. He has told you, oh man, he has told you, oh Project Church, he has told you men and women of God What is good and what does the Lord require of you? What does the Lord require of you? He's told you, and it's this in Micah 6, 8, that you would but do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Does that mean that we have to sign up for hope days? I'm gonna do it again, absolutely. (laughs) But in first service... The thought came to mind that I would say, absolutely. That's okay. I haven't told you the joke yet. Absolutely, because if we're walking in the spirit of God and the power of God, we're walking with the fruit of the spirit. Absolutely. <laughs> Am I telling you to sign up for a team? Am I telling you to sign up for Hope Day? Am I telling you to sign up to help people around you? Help serve. Absolutely. We have to have. <laughs> I can't even do that. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely absolutely because the fruit of the spirit calls for that if we're carrying the spirit of god then we're producing love joy peace patience selfless, selflessness self-control goodness oh man today we're talking about goodness next week we're talking about faithfulness those are two overlooked fruit of the spirit but you can't have one without having all the others Goodness, let's walk in goodness church. We are called corporately to do this. We have been work our, we are God's workmanship and he has called us to do this work before we, we were even born. Ephesians 2:10 for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good. Somebody say good. good. works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You know, you've been saved by grace. And you're walking in faith. And you are able, you are able to do good works because of what God has done in your life. There's people in this world who are fighting to fill something in them with good works. But it doesn't work that way in the kingdom. We do good works because of the work that God's done in us that we didn't have to do. We just had to receive him. And out of the overflow of a spirit of gratitude and servanthood, we walk in our calling and we serve the body. We serve this world. We help the hurting. We help the broken. We help the dying. We've got to resist evil. Sometimes we're like, okay, so we're just going to do good works. It's just like goody two-shoes. We're just going to be goody two-shoes. We don't cuss. We don't, you know, we don't spend our time watching bad movies. We don't No. This call to justice is a confrontive spirit that says to the evil things, I'm going to resist you and I'm going to do good. I'm going to resist you because you are strong in my life, but he is greater in my life. So there's this rising up that has to happen in the people of God that says, I'm going to confront this evil spirit and do good, even though in my flesh, I don't want to all the time. But there comes a point where you're so empowered and overtaken by the power and the love and the Holy Spirit working and operating through you that you can't help but do good. That's how full we want to be of the Spirit. We're not just doing good work so that we can feel good about ourselves. We're so full of the Spirit. We're so full of the power of God that we can't help but do good. It's a confrontive, combative spirit that says, we will do the work. This is not Just a physical warfare. This is a spiritual warfare, and us doing good is going to show us and produce the victory. Resist evil corporately, church. You're required to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. And finally, a rising church that embodies biblical goodness is reconciling us to Christ reconciliation. It goes along with this whole concept that there's a redemptive work that takes place in the church when we're truly walking in our calling and we're truly embodying the goodness of God. We are enabling people to find life and freedom in Jesus and that's reconciliation to him. That's reconciliation to him. I think that my words would fail to express this better than the word of God and it says this in Titus 3, 4 through 11 so let me read it pay attention watch closely but when the goodness someone say goodness when the goodness and loving kindness of God our savior appeared he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. He poured himself out richly through... Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life, that we might become co-heirs with Christ, that we might be adopted to his family and take on the mandate of his family, to take on the authority of his family, to walk in the authority and to walk unashamedly of the call and mantle and command and plan that he has for his family. They, they, the saying is trustworthy and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Devote yourself to good works. This is the call for the family of God. This is the call for family. The family of Project Church. This is the call to expand the kingdom and to reach those who do not yet know him. But listen to this. Get down to verse 9 but avoid foolish controversies, controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for the person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice have nothing more to do with him, dang. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Do you hear what happens there? Is all this great work that God has called us to do? We've been saved by grace. We're called to do these good works. This is our call as a family of God. But then, shortly after, there's a warning. But avoid these foolish controversies. Avoid getting into those traps on Instagram, getting into those trapping conversations on Facebook. Avoid those, those family gatherings where all you do is argue political stances. Listen. That's distracting us from the call that God has for his church to rise up and walk with a biblical worldview. Although there's ramifications that risk our, our whatever we look like to the world, whatever, God has more for us and there's eternal reward in heaven. And there's a great reward here on earth to walk in joy and peace and hope and peace. Oh my goodness, and peace. Everyone's dying for peace in this world. We're only gonna do that when we stop getting distracted, but we're focused on the work of the reconciliation of others to Christ. And if we're going to be a part of that work, the work that he's called the family of God, then we're going to be about walking in a biblical worldview of goodness. We're serving a good father. We're not a slave to somebody who we're just doing his bidding because this is what he asks us to. No, out of the abundance of love for him and gratitude for all that he's done in us, we do this work and we want others to experience life and freedom the way we've experienced life and freedom in Jesus. Let me close with this, 2 Corinthians 17, 21. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Who's a new creature in this, in this room? Online, give me some hands. The old things passed away. Somebody needs to hear this. The old things have passed away. Stop picking up the old things, stop walking back there. You're already a new creation. You are new. The old things that pass away, behold, new things have come. Don't ignore the new things. Don't avoid the new things. Walk in the authority of receiving the new things. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Church, our ministry, whether you know what your purpose is, whether you know where you need to work, whether you know who you need to be connected to, your ministry is reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, not counting things against people who we've seen them be a mess. We're not counting that against them. We're helping them be reconciled to Christ by walking unashamed of the gospel and saying, this gospel is good news for you. You can be a new creation. You can be a new creation. You can be a new creation. I'm a new creation. We can all be new creations and add and build the kingdom of God. That is his plan. That was his original intent that we would walk without any separation from him. We would walk without any divide from him. He wants to be close to us. He wants to commune with us. He didn't want sin to enter that garden, but it did. So what do we do now? We're a part of his mission to reconcile people back, get back to the garden and be in communion with him and be in communion with him. So church, as I was praying about this and as I was looking at you all, but also had that image of a battlefield with people dying around us. I saw Project Church rising up and standing strong. I saw you standing strong with the weapon of warfare and that's the truth of the word of God and you were walking confidently in the authority of what the word says that you are. And you walked in the understanding that there is an original purpose that God wants us all to understand about our lives. We are training for revival. Church, we are training for revival. A church that redeems the world's definition of goodness to a biblical goodness will experience revival. And you're like, wait, what is revival? I saw that in that song that we are singing gold. (laughs) Revival is just all these new creations come into life. Dead things coming back to life. Oh man, Jesus is just saying there's gold in every single one of you that I had original intent for, but it's been tainted by this world. It's been hurt by this world, but I want to refine it. And I want the gold to come out of you and to rise up. And when you rise up, we experience revival. And a world, and a church, and Sacramento, and our families, they come in contact with the presence of God that changes and transforms them. This is what happens when we understand the goodness of God. It transforms us. It just doesn't make us do good work. No, it transforms us and compels us to resist the enemy and do good. To do good. Listen. He's a good father and he wants to restore some of you. And he wants to cre- reclaim some of you for his purposes and his purposes alone. Some of you have been walking in the purpose of yourself. You've been walking in the purpose of getting rich. You've been walking in the purpose of being popular. You've been walking in the purpose of all other kinds of things. But he wants to reclaim the purpose for his kingdom in Jesus' name. He wants to reconnect with you. Some of you have decided to reconnect on your own but others have decided to disconnect even when you are in church you are disconnected but God says I want to reconnect with you I want to reconnect with you I want to re-engage you and some of us need to be renamed in Jesus name we need to be renamed as a child as a son and a daughter of the most high God those of us are walking with the wrong IG handle just so that we can have lots of followers some of us are going to have to change that name and it might only be 300 followers or 90 you know Like two digits? What, Lord? It's worth it. It's worth it for the kingdom of God. There are people dying and there are people desperate for the hope that comes from Jesus. He's gonna redeem some of you. He's gonna rename some of you. He's gonna repurpose you for his purpose and his purpose alone. A rising church that is experiencing revival is a part of rebuilding, renewing, and restoring people, restoring people. Helping people find life and freedom in Him. And that rebuilding means a lot of healing in individuals' lives and hearts. So I wanna ask you today what area of your life needs to be healed, needs to be renewed? What is God stirring in you to understand about yourself so that He can use you for His glory? Come on, church. Do you understand His goodness today? Do you understand His purpose for you today? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. I think he wants to cement some of these things talked about in his word in our hearts today. And he wants to start some healing. Reconciliation has a lot to do with healing because we can feel like we're reconciled, but if the healing doesn't take place, there is just destruction and dysfunction that will follow. God wants to do a work in us and a work in his people because he wants to use us for revival. We are training for revival. So if you're in this room and you listen to this message and you're stirred, it's not because of the smoke in the room. It's not because of the music. It's not because I raise my voice. It's because the Holy Spirit and the Bible speaks. And when he speaks, he brings life. So what you're feeling is a level and it, energy that is like life. God is wanting to do something in your life, but you have to accept him. You have to receive him first. And I want to give everybody that opportunity in this room. If you are thinking, man, I need to reconnect with him. I need to re-engage with him. I need to understand my purpose in him. I need to make him the Lord of my life. I want to follow him, follow him full fledged, holy, devoted to him. If that's what's stirring in your heart after this message, if that's what's been convicting, it wasn't my words, it was the Holy Spirit. Trust me, His word is true. I was just speaking it. If that's you in this room, all heads are bowed and eyes are closed. No one's looking around. I'm looking around because I want to pray for you. But if you feel stirred to give your life to him and follow him completely because you want to know the one who created you and loves you and you want to know his purpose for you, if that's you in the room, I'm going to count to three. If you would raise your hand on the count of three, I just want to pray for you. One, two, three. I see those hands. I see those hands. I see those hands. Amen. Amen. I see that hand. And that's right. Sometimes we have to stand Sometimes we have to stand unashamed of what he's going to do in our lives. Come come on, everybody, repeat after me. Dear Jesus, thank you for bringing me here today to hear your life-giving words. Thank you for the Bible that is my guide and is my greatest weapon. I accept you into my life. I believe that you died and you rose again so that I might have life and freedom in you. I confess of my need for you and my sins that have separated me from you. Give me the strength to turn away and walk in my new self and the strength to live for you all the days of my life. I love you, Jesus amen amen come on church many prayed and accepted Jesus into their life and listen this is the most important decision if you raise your hand and you pray that prayer for the first time or the 10th time or the 20th time it's the most important decision you can make and God wants to seal that in you why don't you stand we're going to sing this song but our prayer partners are also going to make their way up front and if they're praying If you raise your hand for the first time, I encourage you to go and pray with one of these prayer team members. They wanna just, you know, sometimes it makes it real when you tell somebody else that you made this decision. And I'm telling you, it's the most important decision you could have made in your life. So why don't we sing this song? We're gonna ask God to bring revival because his presence changes us, transforms us, and revival happens when we receive it. All right, come on, let's sing and let's pray.